0: Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, oh, oh. Welcome to the Into the Wilderness Podcast. My host, Erl pace sitting next to me is my brother Barn. And on this week's show, we're coming from Germany, Nuremberg. We are indeed. Uh, we were at the EWA Outdoor Classic for three,
1: de- three and a half days, and a bit longer it, with all the travel yeah. either side a couple of weekends ago. Uh,
0: what an awesome show it was! It was huge I've on never, a scale I've never I mean, seen. I've it never been to anything like that, and. We, me and Byron wanted to go to SHOT Show, and from the people we've spoken to, it's on par in terms of scale with SHOT Show. Yeah, it was, it was very
1: exciting uh, just to see so many manufacturers, so many products. I was going to say
0: under one roof. It wasn't quite under one roof, because it was under, under, like, nine, under nine, nine different. Roofs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't but, think we actually got all around. I think we got to seven or eight out of the nine. That we had, we like, had a lot of meetings yeah. over those couple of days, so it did take a, take a little bit to get around the but.
1: Actually, probably more importantly than that, we met a lot of really interesting yeah, people. We did. And that's, um, uh, we're going to bring them to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. We're not we're not, uh, not going to be selfish here and uh, keep these interesting people to ourselves. <laughs> we managed to pull them in um, to the Bourne stand where we were, and we got some great interviews. Yeah. Uh, the first of which you're going to be hearing this week from Phil Massaro. Now, Phil, I didn't actually know prior to EWA, although I'd seen him on social media and I'd seen some of his, he's quite a prolific writer in the States, in fact, He writes a phenomenal amount. I don't quite know how he finds enough time in the day to hunt, visit factories, and do all the writing He's writing while he's traveling. He must must be be writing while he's traveling. Um, So I knew of him, and then when I found out he was going to be an e I pinged him a message and said, hey, Phil, you don't know who I am, but... Would you love? Would you like to come on to the podcast? Because we would love to have you on. And uh, he said, "Yeah, hell, hell yeah, let's <laughs> do it." So we arranged a time, and we had him on. And uh, it was supposed to only be sort of fifteen, twenty minutes when we had people on the stand, but it's uh, worthy
0: of a podcast. All of it a was because
1: it wasn't fifteen, twenty minutes. It was like, forty. Yeah, forty minutes yeah. Uh, pushing on an hour. So uh, Phil
0: had some really interesting things to say, and I just wish we'd had longer to talk to him. Actually, we're going to have him on again, and we do learn about some things that we've probably heard about it in the uk like the sale of public lands in the states uh, yeah uh but we learn a bit more about it and we talk about uh food where your food comes from we also what else do we talk about
1: i don't know you edited the podcast yeah, it's been did. a while since i, uh, I, <laughs> I listened to it.
0: Uh, We we cover a whole
1: array of things. We talk a little bit about the show. Trophy hunting. Trophy hunting and some of Phil's highlights of
0: the show. I think he talks about the Wrigley rifle. He does. Yeah, we talk about a few um, kind of advances in technology Mm -hmm. in the shooting and hunting world, so that's quite cool. Yeah.
1: Um, But before we get to that, we've got a couple of things to talk about. Not a huge amount, just Mm -hmm. a few things. Uh, The first of which is... um, in, it's coming around very
0: quickly, but we have the Northern Shooting Show coming up yeah. very soon. It's uh, Saturday the 6th, Sunday the 7th of May yes. 2017. It's not that far away now. Advanced tickets are £10. We're going to be there at the new Deer Focus group. Yes, There's the Deer Focus area. Area, yeah, group. <laughs> <laughs> area, I meant. It's going to be a group of yeah. all, group of people <laughs> yeah, and yeah, organisations. Um, but there is some really cool things going on, one being uh, a calling competition yes. with an absolutely staggering nominal prize, prize. I, prize. 16 1700 pounds yeah, something like that. that worth um I, I think we're
1: right in saying it's the first deer calling or certainly red deer calling competition in the uk
0: the, calling competitions are a big thing in the us and other parts of the world yeah, if, but i've if, never heard of one here. i've i've watched um turkey a few, calling a turkey calling <laughs> and there's these really young kids nine ten years old doing these fantastic things i mean they do sound like turkeys yeah <laughs> It's just dress them up in feathers. In there. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. And that's being brought to you
1: um, by Best Deer Call, um, our friend Joe at Best Deer yep. Call. And uh, I think we're going to be involved in the judging of that, which is going to be really cool. Uh, so if you want, we're going to put up, we'll be sharing details and stuff on our social media feeds. Um, but you can go and check out all the information for that on the Best
0: Deer Call yep. um, website and Facebook page. Northern Chicken Show will be there. Come and say hello. Um. Uh, It was a great show last year. It's it's even bigger this year. even bigger this year. I'm I'm quite excited.
1: Mm -hmm. And we're going to be actually doing some live podcasts. So we're going to have a number of people forming a sort of live debate on a raised platform within the Deer Focus area. Um, So there's going to be an opportunity for members of the public to sort of interact and ask questions
0: there as well. And we're going to be recording those live. So that's going to be anything could happen. (laughs) Um, In regards to more shows coming from IWA, we've got one coming up... uh, that's going to be kind of a whole bunch of interviews all in one. And then... Oh, is that from the walk around? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, from the walk round, and then some sit-down interviews with various people. And then there'll be one more standalone. Where that will be with Davy Hughes from Swazi.
1: Yep.
0: Uh, which is... Yeah. He, he, uh,
1: you've actually heard from him. If you are, have been listening to us for a while, you will have heard from Davy Hughes uh, when I recorded a podcast in Sweden. That was the podcast around a very, very creaky table that creaked for the full hour <laughs> and sort of 20 minutes of the of the podcast. Um, but you heard from him there. He is an incredibly interesting man, uh, not only on the clothing side, but also just his life experience. Now, unfortunately, we don't get to hear a huge amount about that because we didn't have a huge amount of time But he is coming back to Scotland this October. So we're going to grab him. We are, because we're going to be doing a few
0: things with him. So we're going to give you a proper long interview all about uh, David Hughes. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, On other news, thank you to the people that have donated for uh, the funds for Ivan Carter. Our aim was to raise enough money to feed uh, chimpanzee, feed and house a chimpanzee for an entire year. And we're two weeks in now, and we're at almost four months uh, we've funded. So, yeah... Thank you so much. There's been a everybody. lot of people donating three pounds here, three pounds there, and that's, that's what time. that's what we want. So if you think you can spare three pounds, as Ivan said, listen to the previous podcast. Um, a cup of coffee—that's all it is. Yeah, um, if point. yeah, if you can spare that, there's been quite a few gamekeepers doing it. Once once we uh, come to the end of next month, I will actually we'll give everyone a shout out that's donated. Yeah, and Um, we're going to transfer all the the money in one go. But yeah, there's been a number of Gamekeepers that have donated that I've noticed, there's been people from all over the world. We've got some from Scandinavia. Uh, I saw some donations coming in from South Africa um and uh, quite a few from the uk so yeah. i encourage some of our us listeners to go i haven't seen any coming in from you guys so you we know we're, in, we're we know we're in like 50 odd states or every <laughs> single state yeah. in the in america yeah so, so if, if you can spare three dollars or four dollars uh mm-hmm. then send it over and we can look after some chimpanzees all the information for that is on our website the com. just go
1: there hit the shop tab yeah. And you will see the an icon there that talks about donating and
0: how you do it is in the description of that. Yeah, just read the description uh, because there's a thing about postage in it and it's really <laughs> simple. It's just so you get charged no postage whatsoever. Um, it's in the drop down menu. It's the first country. Holland Islands. Yeah, it's all in the description. You can't go wrong. but for whatever reason, you do mess up. And you do click the wrong country. And you get charged you postage. Get cha- charged 10 pounds postage. You're not getting it back. It's just being donated straight yeah, to the yeah there, there is no
1: postage. <laughs> it's just the way that the website's set up. Yeah. Like you have to pick a country. And we assigned the All Island Islands to have zero postage.
0: Because it's the first one. Because it's the first out.
1: one. We thought that would be easy. Yeah, okay. But it's if you don't know actually what we're talking about in terms of uh, podcasts, then it's probably because you missed the one two weeks ago. So you listen do need to, to go and watch that. Yeah, go there's, and listen to it. And there's, uh, there is... Um, the video link to that and a little bit of description on one of our blog posts. Again, on the thepacebrothers.com, hit blog and you will see it's, I think it's the second top article now uh, in there and then the, there's an embedded video and a little bit of information in there too and links to all the podcast. Yep. Um, talking about other things that are on the website, we just, well, we were part of, uh, we, we produced and edited a film that was released two days ago now. Yep. Uh, And that was called uh, The Demise
0: of Loch Marie. In fact, I think it's less than two days because it was released in the evening, so it must be coming on 48 hours now. And it's had the most incredible response. Now, we...
1: Uh, we got commissioned to do this because for those of you who haven't listened to the background of our, the background podcast on us, we have a film production company as well that's doing the podcast and hunting and fishing when we have time. <laughs> um, and we were commissioned to make this film uh, by Salmon Trout Conservation Scotland, which is part of Salmon Trout Conservation UK. A lot of uh, words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I did manage to spit out without fumbling. Yeah, well done. Um, and basically, what it was was to look at the demise of sea trout populations in the River U and Loch Marie system on the west coast of Scotland. And the correlation there is basically the long short of it. You, can, you need to go and watch the film. Uh, but they put in a fish farm at the mouth of the sea loch. And because of primarily because of uh, the sea lice infestations which kill the young sea trout, the sea trout populations have plummeted. Um it was at one time the global destination for sea trout fishing in terms of locks in the world. I remember when I was a kid growing up reading some of the old books Hugh Falkus, A Man May Fish, T C. Kingsmill, and you would always hear about Loch Marie and the Loch Marie Hotel and it was just it seemed like a world away. And it's actually just on our doorstep almost here. But it's a so shadow it's of the It's water. all gone now. <coughs> it's pretty much gone, which is very sad. But if you want to watch that, um, again, the easy way to do it is visit the website paperbros dot com. It's actually the top blog post now, and okay. you'll see. Um, I think it's called um, it's "The Demise of an Icon" or something. You'll see it's a, it's a picture. Seven of a, minutes
0: long. Yeah. I mean, the the film is also on Facebook as well. Uh, it had thirty three thousand views in less than a well, day. Less than, yeah. yeah. less it, than a day, and three four hundred shares, and hundreds and hundreds of comments. So, it, you know, it is engaging people and. There's a problem. There is a yeah. serious problem going on. Uh, we were actually in Parliament uh, when the politicians saw the film for the first time. So hopefully, it makes a
1: difference. Yeah, I mean that's that's why we started yeah. making film was to do films like that, which tell an important story and highlight an issue that we have, an issue that needs tackled. Mm. So they've taken that um, to Parliament. You know, they're appealing to the politicians to do something about it, and it's not a case of. Um, this doesn't really get talked about in the film, but it was uh, talked about in the presentation in Parliament a few, a few days ago, was that it's not about removing no. f- the uh, agriculture, the salmon farming from the West Coast, it's about putting it in a better place. When it was put in originally, it was just a really poor decision to put it there. Possibly they didn't realise what the impact was going to be on the wild populations. So there is better technology out, here, we, out there, and we know a lot more. We just need to now... You know, you grab the bull by the horns and go and move yeah. these to better places, or move them on land to close containment. It's not a case of wiping it out of the west coast because there's jobs and money and everything else that. Uh, and there's a demand for it. People still yeah. need farm fish because sensible approaches. Yeah, sensible approaches. Anything else on your <laughs> list? Um, uh, yeah, I just uh, wanted to bring up two things, mainly just for our listeners to have a, a think about. Um, the first one is. Many people probably across the the UK certainly it's been a pretty warm winter. You will have noticed we haven't really had a great mm. deal of snow. It's been just a couple of weeks ago it was like 15 degrees for a couple of days, which yeah, is that's ridiculous. Crazy. Um, there Going to be a couple of things that come off the back of that. I mean, Midges in the Highlands oh, are probably going to be gonna horrendous. It's going to be hell. <laughs> be hell. Um, but, ticks. Well, yes, I was going to say more importantly than that, from a from a sort of the danger level is yeah. ticks. Uh, I would most people are suggesting that this year, last year was horrendous. And this year is going to be even worse.
0: If it's anything like last year, then it's bad. It's seriously bad.
1: Um, and of course, if you don't know, which you really should, if you spend, well, not even if you uh, don't spend a lot of time in the countryside, but Lyme's disease, which is re- related to ticks, where it comes from ticks, is a serious consideration um, if you get bitten. So you go and Google it, Lyme's disease, and see the consequences of that. It's uh, it's a pretty serious disease. In- incurable. Yeah, so um, there's some interesting studies going on and we're, uh, we've are we been trying for quite a while to get, put together a podcast on Lyme disease but it's proving difficult to get the right people to give you the proper information but we are, we are still pushing on to try and do that because yeah. it's an important thing and the last thing I had on my list to mention was um, feral cats um, for no other reason than <clears throat> I'd be quite interested to know uh, what our listeners think about feral cats as an you know domestic there are basically domesticated cats that have become feral they live out in the, out in the uh, we have the a, wild. we have a
0: number of australian listeners and we know this because you guys do email us uh, quite quite often and i know that you'll probably have a very strong opinion on feral cats Absolutely, in australia yeah. and new Zealanders yeah. as well i guess um but what what should we do with them
1: uh, there are some people that say we should bring them in and neuter them and then yeah, release them, them. Uh, And then the other train of thought, which is a train of thought that we both um, follow is that we should be capturing them if there's an issue with wildcats in the area, so you can work out whether it's a wildcat in Scotland where we have wildcats or a feral cat, and then if it is a feral cat we should just be putting them down because they don't belong in the environment and they are actually damaging and harming all the other wildlife that's there and we've talked about it before so we, anyway i just would like to know what
0: you guys think um I th- we'll I probably
1: think... put up a post about it at some point and you can, yeah, you we can comment on social media
0: i think the, the australians probably have a, a really good insight into this because it, it's affected their their native, the native population, population sure. massively um because i imagine the feral cats out there are eating all sorts of things lizards and everything uh, I think it's impacting them quite heavily so, so it, we we have the same problem yeah. here but it's not
1: it doesn't have quite as
0: high a profile so
1: but I think it's it's getting that yeah, way so get in contact with us yeah. let,
0: let us know what you think podcast at dot com. that's how you can message us at any time and uh, thank you for the competition uh, I, was just, I was just going to ask you yeah. do you have the competition winner I or? do
1: if you just talk yeah, for I'll, a minute I'll, I'll, f- I'll fill in um, this podcast as always is brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports um, we mentioned it uh, last week and I think a couple of weeks ago. Right now, uh, they have some fantastic um, collaborations and deals with new cars. I know Ford and Toyota are certainly, and Renault, I think those are the, those are the three. Um, they are a members- membership organization that works tirelessly to basically protect what we hold dear. And they are one of the organizations that are putting the input into consultations and making sure that, when government want to change things that the voice of of sh- shooters fishers and people of the sort of rural countryside are being heard um if you don't know about them go and check out their facebook page check them out there's some more information there and if you want to know more about the, the deals that they have uh for the collaborations on new cars there's discounts for for their members so give the office a call and they'll be able to tell you about that
0: right we have a competition winner and it <coughs> is another email entry so it does work once again. We had loads of people on Instagram. We had people on Facebook and email entry as well. We have not a huge amount of email entries uh, because most of the people do it through Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but this is the second time this has gone through. So, uh, Abigail Muscroft, well done. You have won a pair of Caldwell Emacs ear defenders So, email us uh, like you just did and we'll send them out to you as soon as possible. And at their end of this interview we're going to tell you what you can win on this week's show so it's important that you if you enter the competition as well that you listen to the following show yeah so that you know if you won
1: yeah uh I, I, pretty much everybody does i think we've had very very few prizes one, that we've had to roll over i think, I think one, maybe one possibly two. one or two in in a year yeah of so doing that's, it. that's pretty good going it means that you're listening to yeah. every podcast which is awesome and yeah i think that's it you'll hear about that competition at the end of this podcast uh Enjoy this. There's going to be more of this uh, coming up in the next uh, the next show in two weeks' time. And you'll get a, a good feel of the atmosphere, I think. Because yeah, uh, that's the walk around where we actually interview people for on the different stands. So you get a feel of the hustle and bustle of IWA. Yeah. Phil, thanks for joining us on the Into the Wilderness podcast. Awesome what? to have you over here. Thank Obviously you very we, much. We are here at the EWA Outdoor Classic.
2: Beautiful show. What a show. It's, it's amazing. Huge. It uh, it rivals our own shot show back in the states. I'll
1: be interested. Yeah, I, I, this is our first year. We were
2: were virgins before. <laughs> I, As right. am I. It's the oh, yeah. first time in Germany. So and, how,
1: uh, how does this compare to shot show? Because we've never been there either.
2: Shot show is is more of a, a one solid floor kind of thing, mm. whereas this is in in what nine different halls. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's broken up very well. I mean, it's well organized. Everybody's been friendly so far, and uh, you know, it's it's well thought out. Mm. Uh, the shot show, the aisles are a little bit narrower, so you end up shoulder to shoulder. But uh, I. Enjoy the space, you know. Yeah. Especially in between the halls, you can go outside, get a breath of air, and, uh, and grab a beer as well. I like beer. Beer is good. <laughs> <laughs> beer is good. Let's
1: uh, maybe just start with the show. What you, you've had a day to walk around yesterday. Mm-hmm. What's caught your eye?
2: Well, again, you know, we get to do the shot show in January, course, so yeah. some of those releases I had already seen. Uh, I, I believe you guys were at the the unveiling of the new Rigby Highland we were, Stalker, indeed, yeah. yeah. Which uh, I've I've had uh, closet information about for a while, mm-hmm. but it was nice to see that come out. Um, it, it's, it's interesting to me as an American to see companies like Winchester and Hornady, to see what they offer in Europe that's different than what we get in the States. There's entire firearms lines that are, are geared toward, you know, uh, driven boar hunting and, yeah. and more of the European style of hunting that I've never even seen before. Oh, really? And Winchester's an American company and yeah, I thought yeah. I knew the catalog, <laughs> you know? Um, so what did you make of the? Did you put your
1: hands on the, the Highland Stalker yesterday?
2: Yeah, I've, I, uh, I've had a chance to play with that a little bit. And we'll yeah. be doing a gun review as well as taking it on a hunt. Um, Rigby took a pre-war 275 Rigby, you know, standard 98 Mauser action, and uh, kind of reverse engineered it. They took the best parts they could find of, of the models they had available. The stock is impeccable, nice wide open pistol grip, balance is perfect, keeps the weight between the hands, Uh, Obviously, in 275 Rigby, which is an absolute classic caliber capable of taking game, you know, as far as sane people would like to shoot, uh, you know, and I'm thinking not only for a European stalking rifle or for an American deer and black bear rifle, but as an African light rifle, Mm. it's... Absolutely classic, you know. And it, the it, history is just awesome. The pedigree is it. certainly there, you know. A- and modeled around our, our homeland of Scotland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm actually uh, fortunate enough to be taking it to the highlands of Scotland yeah. uh, later on this year, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. And aside from that, it's maybe on, on the optics
1: front. Is there anything that's. Um, uh, you thought, wow.
2: Yeah, the, the new Swarovski stuff was very you nice. Yeah, that, yeah, Swarov's always got good stuff. Uh, there were a couple of Collis rifle scopes that were very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's nice to see some of the the European double rifle, and of course I'm an African junkie, so excuse yeah. me. For that. You know uh, is here, Vernie Carons here, mm-hmm. and you get to handle some of the the fine German stuff too that you really don't see advertised in the magazines. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you meet one of the finest gunsmiths on yeah. the planet, and you're you know you're holding uh, 11 pounds of glory in your hands. <laughs> so it it a, a very good experience, and I'd, I'd highly recommend it for anybody who wants to see a little bit different than the American side of yep. things. Um, we we kind of skipped. This. at the start but maybe just tell people a little bit about your background what you do stateside
1: you know the writing and anything else that you are okay
2: uh first and foremost i am an outdoor writer i I write for the nra's american hunter i do quite a bit of work with gun digest uh guns america is is an online thing where we sell guns uh uh you know you can you can list your firearms or buy firearms there and they have a, a pretty good editorial section and i do a lot of work for them as well in addition to some other other publications but uh I, I got into it because my wife and I opened up Masaro Ballistic Laboratories which was okay. a custom hand loading ammunition shop. Mm-hmm. You know if you if you had an old uh, 8x64 or 8x65, excuse me, you know, and know you wanted uh, ammunition you couldn't get on the market, we could make it for you. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you know you had a 300 Winchester Magnum and you couldn't get it with a particular bullet you wanted. That's the service we provide. Uh, shortly thereafter, the the folks from Gun Digest found me on Facebook. Believe mm. it or not, they said, uh, "Would you write me a book?" And I went, "Let me check my schedule." Oh, look, I'm open. <laughs> <laughs> I like royalties. Royalties yeah. are good. Uh, one thing led to another, and it's been a, a bunch of really good publications. And it's a fan- as you guys both know, it, it, it's a great industry to be in. Mm. You know, it's, it's very accommodating. People are friendly, and look, we love. And to we hunt. all love the same we, thing. We love to hunt and play yeah. with guns. So yeah. why why wouldn't we want to be here? Yeah. <laughs> So oh. that, that's my own little history. It's, it's been about three years, and I'm, I'm fortunate to have, have made some very good contacts. Uh, we've got four books in print and hundreds of magazine articles, and uh, they keep me busy. We don't sleep a lot.
1: If people want to follow the stuff that you're doing, what's th- is there a way to do that? Uh,
2: you, there's uh or you can find me on Facebook under Phil Massaro and I always try to provide a link to anything that's uh, digital so, so people can get a, a handle on what's yeah. you know, current and what we're doing. Yeah. Things going on in America right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, no, it's been a, a whole lot of <laughs> up
1: people, But if we maybe leave what might seem obvious aside, mm, yes, yes. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you about that we don't hear a great deal about uh, in the UK certainly mm-hmm. is the issue with land and private land, public land ownership. We're seeing and more and more happening. of it now I mean, online. We're seeing it yeah. fed through, but it's maybe a little bit. I don't bit think people r- understand. understand. Yeah. Yet.
2: One of the beauties of America is that, you know, we're vast enough that we've set aside huge tracts of public land. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt was one of the pioneers in saying, look, these, these wild places need to be preserved. And uh, it varies from state to state, but I'm a, I'm a native New Yorker, you know, and I, I, in my own home state, we have both the Catskill uh, Forest and we have the Adirondack National Park. Uh, it's six million acres and one of the beauties of that preservation of that land is that anybody who's you know qualified as a hunter has passed the hunter safety course can buy a hunting license and has public land available to hunt to me that's that's extremely important now the the federal ownership of 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 public land and the regulation thereof i uh there was actually a Uh, rather heated discussion a couple of years ago about the ability to take photographs on federal land seriously they were trying to ban it for reasons I, I can't quite comprehend but uh, you know our, our new our new Secretary of the Interior, Mike Zinke. He's a he's a Montanan. He's a hunter, uh, military background. Uh, the guy actually he just uh, just got approved and he rode into to office on, on his first day on horseback with the D.C. police. <laughs> Can you imagine that, Darrell? You, you would never see that in the U.K. <laughs> no. he's never, a never in a million years. He's would you a cowboy see that in the UK. and I absolutely <laughs> love it. But uh, one of the things he did, he reversed an order. There was a. Uh, there was a ban on lead ammunition on on public lands because the concept is that the bullet fragments would poison any and all predators. I know the California Condor was a, and that scientific data can be debated back forth and sideways, I don't really know, but he put an end to that so that we can use traditional ammunition. So had it
1: already been implemented?
2: Uh, At the end of the Obama administration, yeah, he kind of snuck that one underneath the back back door, if you will. Here you go, here's a nice little gift. (laughs) So he said, um, no. How about a big cup of no? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, guys like Mike Zinke, who are hunters and they, they have a background and understand what we're doing, are obviously different than your traditional politician who may kowtow to environmental groups, uh, panderings, or, or what have you. He, he knows how it works. He's been in the field. He understands that. And, you know, as an American, I, I truly appreciate the preservation of public land. You know, when you want to show your kids Yellowstone Park, you know there's no hunting in that. But or if you have the opportunity, like we do in uh, in the Adirondacks, you want to enjoy those pristine lands and you want to share it with uh, future generations. You've always got a place to take your kids. You know, sometimes it's very difficult to obtain a hunting lease or to join a hunting club. Uh, people don't have financial means, or they don't. You know, they're not accepting new members at that particular point in time. Um, and, and to be honest i mean the, the the concept of of hunting in a country without that is foreign to me mm. you know I, I know africa There's there 's very few places you can just walk out the door and go hunting it 's privately owned concessions and you know government controlled the x y and z
0: that 's the same in scotland uh, everything 's privately
2: owned everything 's privately owned yeah. so you it 's pretty accessible
0: though that yeah. 's probably the slight difference that we have is
1: that pretty much everything 's privately owned, but you phone up the estate and assuming they've got a slot you know yeah the, the, they, they book, you can buy it and it doesn't cost you any more than it cost me to go hunting. there you so go. it
2: is accessible so maybe
1: that's but you've got to have the money to do but so you still got to
2: pay that's it yeah. see in, in the adirondack park you get up and you you decide this morning you know what i want to go hunting mm. Mm. it's as simple as that throw your gear in the car and away you go really and you're welcome to do so it, it's it's a wonderful thing so you know there, there's there's been uh, a lot of work to preserve these spaces and uh, the latest political movement with our, you know, a, a more conservative party in power is going to do their best to conserve that future, in, in, the, in the future, so that uh, everybody has a chance to enjoy America as it is. You, you, when you've got people in government that hunt, that's kind of half the battle Absolutely. kind of won, Absolutely. in a way. You know, it, it, it's important, and look, I'm, I'm certainly no politician, but I would think that it'd be important to have those in power have a bit of hands-on yeah, yeah, yeah you know, when you're trying to legislate something you don't understand, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a dentist, why would I, you know? We,
1: we have the same problem. Are we The vast majority of politicians, whether that be in our Scottish Parliament
0: or in Westminster for the UK mm-hmm. government, the examples are so detached. Yeah. The, the examples are endless. You've got, uh, you know, the, the the guy in charge of the military, he's never done military service. You've got, uh, we actually had we actually had a vegan in charge of uh, farming and agriculture, uh, but that was on the shadow, on the shadow bench. Well, uh, You've got an education secretary that can't do mo- um, basic times table. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's worrying.
2: <laughs> what, what's the phrase? Those who can do and those who can't? <laughs> yeah.
0: um, so uh, w- where does it sit right now
1: with the sale of public land? Because this was, was, this, uh, this was bills that were being pushed through or they've been
2: reversed or amended? I, it was in various stages mm. to the best of my knowledge yeah. and again I'm not being so not complicated I couldn't even follow <laughs> it. <laughs> it is it is they were trying to, to change which agency controlled what and it would have it would have denied a bunch of public access for hunting fishing camping even canoeing I think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah they wanted to kind of leave it preserved and that, that's not the point. The point of preservation is conservation, if you will we don 't want to just leave it alone, and never look at it, and put it in the closet. It needs to be enjoyed by people in a responsible manner yeah. and again, you know uh, look there 's people here from all over the globe as hunters as as outdoorsmen and women, we want to be conservationists, but we want to be responsible human beings. you know it was handed to us, and it 's our job to hand it down to the next generation Best. in a responsible fashion
1: yeah yeah absolutely I think uh, we, we 've said it before that There's a difference between uh, a conservationist and an environmentalist, and a conservationist actually partakes.
2: Exactly. And an environmentalist just spectates. A a conservationist has dirty hands. Yeah. (laughs) Whether it's blood from hunting or or soil from the management of the, the, you know, whatever it is, it's a hands-on thing, and it's for a love of the land. You Mm -hmm. know, that's that's where we come from.
1: How, how have you f- um, felt it over in the States with regard to this sort of push of the green movement, if, if we want to give it a name, because we've seen it in the U.K. a lot. We're seeing it in Europe. Obviously, uh, Cecil, the line, I think it's almost two years ago now. Poor that old Cecil. M- <laughs> that made a big difference to your um, state wildlife departments for importing.
2: He- here's what's going on currently in the States, and, and there are those who could explain it better than I, but I'll do my best. The US Fish and Wildlife Service governs the importation of particular species into America. Uh, With the exception, I believe, of South Africa and Namibia, the importation of elephant ivory is banned. Mm -hmm. Now, while it looks good and shiny on on paper that this is gonna let the elephants live, you guys know as well as I do that it's hunter's dollars that pay for the anti-poaching, that pay for the water hole construction, you know, to put a drilled well in so that you know the elephants don't destroy other habitat in search of water. Uh, and it also, it, it, it preserves the land. If, if nobody's hunting those concessions, that goes, that goes feral and, and invariably poachers come in. And I'll use Kenya as the example. Great example. Kenya yep. closed hunting in 1977, and the last estimates I saw, they've lost 70 to 80% of their game due to poaching. Simply put, there's nobody watching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife ban on both lion importation and uh, elephant ivory has hurt Africa it you know it may sound a little bit selfish but a hunter's not going to invest fifty thousand dollars u.s to hunt an elephant he can't bring home mm-hmm. as an old man he wants that ivory on the wall so it, it, it's a memory you know and and it serves the elephant well uh the regulated sport hunting of elephant is less than zero zero one percent of the population whereas it, it, when you get a case like uh, where cecil was killed in the in the dete valley near Huangue, uh i actually hunted the antoinette farm about six weeks before that uh, that oh, occurred wow. AND I CAN ATTEST TO THE FACT THAT THERE WAS RAMPANT POACHING OF PLAINS GAME BECAUSE IT WAS EASY, BUT THE SPECIES THAT WERE THERE, WE WERE COVERED UP IN ELEPHANT AND LION EVERY SINGLE DAY. Mm. It, IT WAS OUT OF BALANCE. AND WHEN YOU BAN HUNTING IN THAT KIND OF SITUATION, eventually the government comes in with a cull team bull bow, uh, bull, cow and calf get get killed because there's too many elephant and it, it's a waste no money's brought in no money's bought in and look i understand like the salu reserve the entire north half is a photographic only area there needs to be spaces it does work yeah. but at the same time it can't be all photographic because it doesn't pay mm. and charity only goes so far so what you know what i'm hoping is that with our new uh, you know president trump's administration the U.S. Fish and Wildlife is going to take a, a different stance on this and say, "Look, if it's well, number one, it's obviously already controlled by CITES. There's only so much quota throughout the continent of Africa. But if we're not allowed to import that, you're not going to be hunting. The hunters' dollars don't go over. The professional hunters' outfits go out of business. The local economy is not employed. You know, we got trackers, skinners, cooks, vehicle maintenance, cleanup, the whole nine yards. It employs a lot of people. And and."
0: Uh the meat as well afterwards feeds a lot of people.
2: I was just on a hunt with Mo- in uh, Mozambique with Mark Haldane. the uh, hero oh, runs really? yeah, yeah, Zambezi Delta Safaris. And what we did in Kutada 11, we did a non-trophy, non-export buffalo bull. Yeah. We took a really old bull out of the breeding cycle. You know, his, his bosses were worn flat. None of that bull, other than the photographs and the memories, were mine. And we delivered the entire animal to the village of Peau and you want to see the smiles on these people's faces when they received all that meat. Yes. You know, you're talking about a protein-starved environment. Yeah, it is. We don't yeah, they don't get a lot of protein. Absolutely, and we don't want them poaching. No, well, that, that's the conflict, isn't
1: it? There is going to be a hum- human conflict if they don't have an incentive to look after Ex- the animals. Exactly. And we saw it in Zambia when they closed the hunting in Zambia, the vast majority of the rural population—I mean, the proper rural population mm-hmm. it was a long way from nowhere. Suddenly, overnight, found themselves with no jobs they're and no protein.
2: They're starved. And, and then they, th- I mean, and they
1: did a study. There's a—you uni- i can never remember the name of the university. There was a university in America that did a study on the protein intake of those rural communities from the hunting ban. It only lasted two years. Yeah. The population's like, we want
2: hunting back. Yeah. Well, look we at Botswana. Eat. Botswana is now closed with the exception of, uh, you know, ranch hunting on, pri- on yeah. private land. So all those beautiful uh, blocks in the Akavango Delta and what have you, you know, they're all closed to hunting. They're, from what a good buddy of mine who was a PH over there said there was this huge, you know, colonial uh, hotel and restaurant near the airport. It's out of business now. Because the tourists aren't, the hunters aren't coming in. The photographic folks just they catch a charter flight, and don't spend any time or money in town. And uh, I I know how much I've spent in Africa yeah. over the last uh, fifteen years just or so. Don't tell the wife, <laughs> well, she's usually with me. <laughs> she's as guilty as I am. But uh, Good. it's a place, yeah, yeah, Good. for sure. It's a place we really enjoy. And you know, not only do you make friends with your PH. But you get to know your trackers. You get to know the chef. And these are people that when you see them again or you return on another safari, the smiles are beaming on both yeah. ends.
1: Like you never left. Exactly. <laughs> know, you know, it's amazing. It, it, to me, it's Africa my happy does place. That to oh, <laughs>
2: It's the first draw on the crack pipe. You're an addict right after that. <laughs> it's that first safari, done. You've done it. That's you know what you're doing your for the rest of your, on, your day. Only one trip, and that, that's it. How many times it. have you heard that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm on number seven and eight. We've already got them booked. <laughs> If I go more than a year without going to Africa, um, I physically start I to start shake. to twitch, exactly. It's like having withdrawals.
1: What do you, uh, we were just speaking to Ivan Carter about this last week actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about the burning of ivory? Has it achieved anything? And obviously we have a problem here. We've got a, a massive ivory poaching problem, and we've got a massive rhino poaching problem. And both kind of are, are, are tied together, because there's two things that can be traded, and both are closed. Yeah,
2: yeah they're tangible. Uh, yeah. They don't rot like meat does you know, yeah. with a buffalo. Um, burning it i i don't see it did a, a damned thing to be honest I said exactly the same thing. i you know it, it's a statement which could have been made in a different fashion if you if you were to and this may sound crazy if you were to legalize the trade of rhino horn mm. i think it would have a benefit to the rhinoceros definitely look if if, if you want to make something valuable that's the pen he's clicking over here make it illegal you then yeah. create a black yeah. market for it and pens will be twenty seven euros tomorrow, <laughs> mm. as opposed to picking them up on the side of the street uh, with rhinoceros horn. Uh, I believe it was Kevin Robertson, the Doctari, who presented the idea of uh, actually farming rhino horn yeah. which, which makes all the sense in the world you know uh, take yeah, for example it, it the u s yeah. it does it 's renewable. Mm. And take, you know, our war on drugs in the United States. We spent an obscene amount of money. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a very poor drug user. So I drink like a fish, but I'm a very poor drug user. But you can attain it anywhere you want. Yeah. Um, the same thing with the war on, on the rhino horn. You know, it, it's obviously a corruption problem. It isn't, it isn't low-level poachers that are doing this and smuggling it out that way. The corruption goes right as high as it can go. Yeah. And as long as that demand is there, there are different ways to fill it. One primarily would be education. I don't think rhino horn has. But that's a long term. Anyone's game. erectile dysfunction. Nope. <laughs> um, and and if, if it does, but anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll you know, leave that one. Right, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Number two, if the demand is going to be there for for whatever the reason, these are renewable, and if you legalize it, it will it will take that black market effect away. Yeah. I mean, the last the last figures I heard were that you know one decent rhino horn was ten years' salary and in in an area where they don't make a lot of money and life is hard, it's a very tempting prospect.
1: Yeah, it is. You can, can, if you strip everything else away and you think about why they're doing it, it makes sense.
2: And, you know, both South Africa and Namibia are classic examples of bringing species back from the brink of extinction. It can be done. Through the,
1: legalize, through the legalized trade of it. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, you, even the Plains game, they, they cleared the goats and cattle off, made it, you know, back to the wild, uh, the wild bush that they had, and it's perfect for the Plains game animals to thrive. And now between Namibia and South Africa, they've got more Plains game than they've ever had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Y- yeah, you know, The growth figures are huge.
2: At least in our lifetimes. You know, I don't know what happened when they landed there, but, you know, the same can be done with the rhino. Um, but make it have value. It's, no, no, it's got to f- have value. You yeah, know. If,
0: it, if an animal doesn't have value, then the local people don't have a vested interest. Exactly. In it. And more than that,
1: and uh, this echoes what um, Ivan said last week, is that they actually have a negative value to the people who own them because it costs you to try and protect that rhino from dying. So mm-hmm. where's the incentive to
2: look after those
1: rhino? Because it just bleeds you dry as an owner on the private yeah. ownership of, of it, rhino. It, I mean, it really does. This it,
2: secu- it, I'll give you an right. example. Uh, my taxidermist in uh, Bella Bella over in South Africa. He had a safe, uh, he was doing some some taxidermy on, you know, legally taken rhinos. I think he had 23 rhino horn in his safe. Uh, and the poachers walked in and they stuck a pistol in his wife's mouth and said, open the safe or I'm going to end her life. What do you do? He opened, the, opened the safe. Depends on how much you love your wife. Yeah. I <laughs> he loved her very much. So you he opened it. the safe yeah. and that was yeah. the end of it, you know. But it, it's it's a hot commodity. It, it's like, you know, those that run cocaine from Mexico to the, to the United States, they don't their life is forfeit if they're caught they know that i mean there's a standing order to shoot and kill poachers and they're prepared to take that risk uh, yeah yeah th- they've they've it's a man who has nothing to lose mm. he's willing to lose it all so you know like like robertson said I, th- I think if we started to farm it and there was a a legal controlled supply it would be better for the rhino than what's going on now yeah.
0: I, I think what ivan was also saying when he did the tour to asia is that the education in asia because a lot of it's going that way um, the education to the younger generation about what the effects of right. what what's happened in the black market in um, in Asia.
2: If we can, if we could possibly scientifically prove that it has no medicinal value, <laughs> yeah, that would be huge. Uh, the elephant ivory, on the other hand, I, I've read where China has said that in it's either 2017 or 2018 they're going to end the legalized trade of ivory. Yeah, they are. Ivory. You're right. I
1: think it's this year. Yeah, I think it's this
2: year as well. Um, I don't know if that's going to create another black market effect. I think it will. Yeah, I think it will? I'm pretty sure it will. Because right now, they,
1: they could, there was a very small number of outlets in China that they could legally trade okay. and, and legally carve. And, but what their argument is, and I think it's flawed, is that they were using that as a cover for the black market stuff. Because exactly. if you can legally hold it, how do you prove it? Yeah, yeah, no, it's I not mean, serial number. It's definitely that was definitely happening. Absolutely, there's a great documentary on Netflix called The Ivory Game, yeah. and they, they show you they there show you the
0: behind the scenes in the shops and and the the shop front is. They have all the legal ivory, and this is undercover, and the guy's like, well, I want a larger amount. Do you have it? He's like, yeah, I've got two tons in a shed (laughs) that's not registered, and this is a common occurrence um, across there, and and they're bringing it other ways. It was two years ago now, the Chinese delegation went to um, Zimbabwe, Mm -hmm. and they were all caught leaving uh, on their their plane because, obviously, it's a private plane with ivory, and the the black market price had gone up by 200% when the Chinese um, government had arrived. Yeah. (laughs) If
2: you've been around there, you understand the Chinese. Presence across yeah. Africa, big
0: time. Now. In the last ten
2: years, it's, been it, it's huge, and and they're taking every natural resource they can. And you know that that's probably none of my business, but you know I, I'm I'm concerned that that black market gets created with the the stopping of the legal yeah. trade. I think
1: it'll get worse. I don't I, see I, them stopping the small amount of legal trade they have in China right now, actually making things better.
2: So so what do we do? You know, again, to combat this, we've got to have anti-poaching. You know, going back to Mark Haldane, he's got two helicopters, a half a dozen motorcycles, and a full-time staff removing gin traps, removing snares, and, you know, he had, you know, damn near a soccer field filled with gin traps. I've seen pictures yeah. like you're it, describing. Horrible it's traps, unbelievable. Well, oh, horrible. They'll take your lip oh. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 I don't know, damn near a meter in, in width. Um, I understand the need for protein and look i really can't blame a guy who's who's killing to survive but when you kill for a profit you know not in a, a, a sport hunting sort of way but when you kill for the, the 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 sale of ivory and or rhino horn it becomes a dirty dirty business and it takes armed anti-poaching units to prevent that from happening um, yeah,
1: but in the long term we need to we, the hunting public, the governments, and that's a really hard call in, mm-hmm. uh, in Africa because we all know that there's a huge amount of corruption that goes on there. They need to create the situation where the, the people that are doing this don't have a requirement to do it anymore. Right. Because they have a vested interest, in, in a different vested interest in the animals, and they need to have the vested interest that they stay alive. Exactly. And we've shown time and time and time again, whether it's a North America model, whether it's the uh, or in Pakistan, mm-hmm. whether it's the n- numerous examples that already exist in Africa, quite often hunting can be that solution. It's not always the solution, but it can be one of the solutions that can help save it.
2: Well, you know, going back to the, what you mentioned about the North American model, I, I knew old time hunters when I was a younger person with more hair, uh, who told me in the 1920s, if you saw a deer track, and right around where I grew up, that it was noteworthy. There there was no deer. I mean, the the farming was was taken the woods right back to the hedgerows. You know, the the land was denuded. There was no habitat for them. And we've learned that the preservation of land uh, combined, you know, our New York State, DEC, Game Rangers, whatever you want to call them, uh, they do a good job making sure people adhere to the law. You know, they're not shooting more deer than they're allowed. They do studies just to, to, to do the counts for how many does can be taken each year, much like the African quota system. And, it, you know, it works even even more strict out in the western states where, uh, you know, some of the more rare animals, uh, let's say a, a desert sheep or a Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep, they're taken on a draw lottery system. Yeah. Sometimes guys spend an awful lot of money trying to buy a lottery tag, and that goes back to conservation. You know, it, it allows us to contain chronic wasting disease or Huge, uh, brucellosis. Problem starting here in, 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 in uh, Scandinavia now. You've got it here? Now. Yeah, 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 That's, that's terrible.
1: They've, I just heard yesterday, actually, um, uh, I was speaking to, uh, to someone who we've had on the podcast before, and they've got, had 25,000 samples from uh, Norway, I think it's Norway and Sweden, from mm-hmm. hunters. They've been providing the samples to, for testing right. during this hunting season and there's been 10 positive cases from 25,000. So it's pretty small. It, but but, but what, it'll but spread
2: like wildfire. That's you know. the problem. A wildfire starts with one match. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, it, it's, it's, it's... But yeah, it
1: you, you, uh, your point is... It you're able to help tackle these things that's with where the, the money that comes come. from. It, yeah.
2: You know, the Pittman-Robertson Act in the States, you know, has... Oh, that's a
1: really interesting. Sorry to interrupt you there, no. but the
2: people in the UK won't know about I, I don't know about so it. So the
1: Pittman-Robertson, you can correct me here, but that was a tax on ammunition, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Okay, so I'll let and you And it's provided
2: it. a, a gross amount of money over the years. Mm. And that money has gone right back in. You know, you put that into conjunction with organizations like uh, the, the, the National Wild Turkey Federation or Ducks Unlimited or Pheasants Forever or the Sheep Foundation. SCI, DSC, you know, all all these pro-hunting organizations put a lot of time and effort back into the conservation and the preservation of land for hunting and habitat purposes. Mm. The model works. What, you know, what was staggering for me was I heard an interview, and I I forget his name, but it was on uh,
1: the uh, Beyond the Kill podcast out of Canada, Mm -hmm. and they were interviewing someone from the Wild Sheep Foundation. Mm -hmm. They employ a large number of biologists. Oh, absolutely. How many... Of, of the animal rights organizations are employing a lot of biologists for solutions. I don't know the answer to that I question. Don't,
2: I don't either. And I, I. But I bet you it's. I bet <laughs> you it's not the like, the I volume that these. I, guys I employ. think we go back to the basic preservation versus conservation yeah. argument. Look, I, I hate arguing. You know, I I'm not that guy who wants to get in somebody's face. But I can. I, I, when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I know conservation works. It's a fantastic model. You know. Um, I'm I'm glad to see that Africa has adopted that kind of thing. And in countries like Tanzania, I mean, Mozambique to the south. 10 years ago, when the Bush War ended, or maybe it was 15, don't quote me on that, they did a study in in Kutana 11 of Mozambique in the Zambezi uh, River Delta. They had 2,500 buffalo. Mm -hmm. Last count, they had 29,000 buffalo.
1: Case
2: in point. (laughs) Numbers don't lie. Math doesn't lie. But the, the really
1: sad thing about it, and you know, we could talk all day uh, sure. with, with examples on numbers, yeah. is that for some reason people don't want to believe it. We see, we and see it's it in an the emotion UK. thing. Yeah. They can't separate the logic
2: with their emotions. I think it kind of boils down to this. You know, When people go to the grocery store and you know, neat little chunks of meat are wrapped in cellophane and, and styrofoam, it doesn't... They it's don't, detached, isn't it? It is. It's a total detachment. When you speak to an old farmer, and, and I know the, we've evolved and society has changed, who, you know, but that old farmer who cut the head off the chicken, you know, the, as the old phrase, is <laughs> running around like a chicken yeah. with his head cut off, and then had to put it in the pot. This was a living creature that he decided to take its life in order to nourish his family. Mm. We've become entirely detached from that. You know, people don't want to see things die, but people want to eat. And I, I have a, a dear friend who's a vegan, and we kind of go back and forth all the time. Oh, well, there's alternative methods, and if you only eat vegetables. I said, how many acres of forest were cut down to grow your broccoli? How many how, animals were killed to stop animals and how eating how many, Right, how, Right, exactly. Well, you, know, you don't want to see that because it's not happy and shiny and comfortable. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and be a cold-blooded killer, but the the responsible, you know, utilization of wildlife whether you're a fisherman and you eat what you catch or you catch and release and you you help donate through a fishing license back into clean waterways and and restocking and habitat or you're a hunter who wants to, you know, become part of an organization that is is pro, you know, uh, a conservation and preservation of wild places. It's a positive movement for us on the planet. You know, the basic problem is that there's too many people.
1: people. Yes, we've said it before, and now someone else has said (laughs) it. And I know
2: know I'm not, nor are either of you going to volunteer to die in order to make room for another (laughs) fish or bird. But we need to... Be- because of the human situation, we need to wisely conserve what space we have left. Yeah, and we
1: need to play an active part in the management.
2: Absolutely. And, and that's
1: this misperception that people have that
0: if you leave it alone, it'll be fine.
2: It won't be fine.
1: We're here, and, and unfortunately, that is the reason we
0: need to uh, and, it. and talking about the food, you're saying you know you don't want everyone to come out and be a killer, but there isn't enough protein for everyone on the planet no, to, God, to no. be eating meat on a daily basis anyway.
1: And the thing is, I you know, I think... A lot of people will realize from the conversation that we've had of 40 minutes now <laughs> is that there, there are a lot of things that these other groups, we probably can agree on. <laughs> yeah, but, we need to, but we need to strip the emotion out of it. Not, not so much us because I think we, we understand that, but by the virtue of the fact we're saying you need to strip <laughs> the emotion out of it. But unfortunately, from the other side who you know, vehemently don't want killing for whatever reason or, or hunting as part of a management plan, they seem to be unable to do that but
2: we actually want the same thing. I, I think we do. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my, my same vegan buddy is, is, is drastically and dramatically against factory farming. You know, mm-hmm. the huge agribusiness, not well, agriculture. You know, and five. I can understand yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, to live in a little tiny space and, you know, be deprived of the ability to be a free animal kind of sucks in plain English. And then put into a slaughterhouse. But don't bust my chops for killing the deer that lived its whole life in the wild and I did it on his turf and his terms <laughs> because I like that protein which isn't pumped full of chemicals and biologically engineered yeah. and and altered in whatever state mm. i like pure protein that i know grew up in the wild eating our native forage yeah. uh, and go, going
0: to the chemical thing i mean that is a serious problem in the beef uh, the antibiotics that they have we're going to see
1: it in, in yeah. our in our lifetime we're going to
0: see actually the effects of that i don't I, think we've quite seen it yet yeah.
2: you know the the milk is pumped with hormones uh, to to kill any and all bacteria you know i remember those same old folks i grew up in a, in a farming community they would they would say your milk would go sour in a day and a half mm. you can preserve milk for three days now <laughs> you yeah. know it's, it's like a week and a half in the fridge yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you know and i'm kind of going wow what what's different and it's, <laughs> it's that same kind of thing let's turn it around a bit yeah. what did you guys see at the show that you liked tell me
1: well we saw this yesterday the two things that you mentioned yeah, yeah. You know, the, the rigby launch and then you know the, the um Swarovski's scope which basically you press a button and it it works that Work, works everything out i think it's a freaking awesome thing we, 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 awesome we piece we've of only technology. been on half of
2: it yeah, yeah. I haven't. Yeah, yeah, there's two halls I haven't even been able yeah. to check. I mean, there's a couple of you.
1: rifle manufacturers that are, I want to see. Some you, of the American ones that we don't really see so yeah. much in the
0: UK. Yeah, so there's a few that we we haven't seen before. A few boot boot companies. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're in the market for some boots. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah,
2: that There's a fantastic clothing line running around here. I was really surprised mm. about that because you know our stuff is is usually you know work boots and camouflage and it, it's a, it's a different style with a lot of the tweed that you guys use in yeah, the UK. It is. and, yep, more and uh, some more of the the German you know Germanic kind of style with mm. the the wool uh, you know. The green wool and some of the short breeches mm. and stuff, uh, your hunting boots are a lot different than ours. Yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that runs around in a pair of Courtneys no matter Yeah, normally
1: going. I've got my rogues on. Yeah. Yeah, my yeah. South African rogues on. Yeah,
2: that's just how it works. Yeah. But uh, it, it's very interesting to look at. Um, there's a lot of ammunition here, too, and I mean, mm. I'm an ammo junkie. From yeah, we, we,
1: we haven't had the time yet, but we're going to need to go and speak to the guys at Hornady, because we know a couple of the guys yeah. there, and, you know, they're always, as a company, as an ammo company, they always seem to be pushing, they pushing, are. They're pushing. on the cutting yeah. edge,
2: you know. Steve yeah. Hornady's a personal friend of mine. Neil here, who, Oh, Steve's here? Steve's yeah. here. Oh, yeah. I no, sorry. The, the, the um,
1: Jace, sorry. Jason's here. Jason's not here. here. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't know if Steve's we here, pop but by, here, We
2: popped by the booth yesterday, and, you know, everybody was in a meeting. Hornady's always been on the cutting edge, and another great Provider of, of classic safari calibers yeah. as well. You want to go over to Hall 6 because Norma's got some great new stuff out. Yeah. Uh, they have a new series of bullet called the strike series. Uh, the tip strike series uh, is a lead core flat base I polymer tested tip. Them in Namibia. They're fantastic. Ago, yeah. We, we use them down in Texas on yeah. a black buck, but they've got the echo strike Which is yeah. a, a lead free one. Well, that's what we were using. Oh, the using the echo strike with yeah, the green in Namibia
1: tip. last July.
2: Yeah, yeah No, are last it was the year before that. It was pre Yeah, Yeah, you guys were on the cutting edge yeah. of it then um, uh, but yeah,
1: it's all interesting technology, though. So they're
2: here, uh, you know, the whole RUAG group is here with RWS and everybody, and you know, uh, uh, RWS has that new 10.368, did you see that thing? I haven't seen it yet. I heard about it. I need to go look. Yeah. For hunting in Sweden, I guess, or uh, uh, Switzerland, excuse me, I guess they're caliber uh, regulation is they have to use 10-3. Mm. And uh, the 10-3 by 60 was an old black powder cartridge. Yep. Firearm was handed down from grandfather to father to son. But what they did is they took that bore diameter and mated it with a 300 Winchester case. Mm. And now you've got a little hammer going on. We got to shoot it on uh, today, Monday. Oh, yeah. At the, at the RWS plant. And I mean, it was you know, sub MOA, and, and even without the muzzle brake, it was a pleasure to shoot. So now you've got every. I think they're loading 200 grain bullets in it for a lighter game, mm. you know, driven boar and, and what have you, all the way up to 400 for the Cape Buffalo and, you know, lions and, and what have you. It, it, it's a neat little cartridge. No, so this
1: there's, there's, place is just filled with filled with uh, technology that kind of <laughs> takes your breath away. We're actually just looking at uh, we're over at the Bushnell stand yeah. first thing this morning, and they've got some pretty sexy stuff where the is connected to the uh, the Kestrel the, the unit. Kestrel, yeah, yeah, the Kestrel unit, and that obviously has the ballistic apps. And stuff, so I you just, just finished. Uh, I just, just you finished played with it.
2: Uh, life I just it, it, it's going to print in May. It'll be out end of May uh, the big book of ballistics mm-hmm. by Phil Masaro And that, that was a tough one to write But we we did a lot of work with long-range stuff down at the FTW ranch and uh, I got my hands on a Kestrel unit and that Bushnell One-mile connects rangefinder The Kestrel constantly updates for changing uh, environmental conditions yeah. So let's say you've got your dope at 500 or a thousand you're playing the long-range game the day warms up You know your bullets flying a little bit flatter Uh, or it cools off and it's flying a little bit more arced the kestrel compensates for it and digitally interfaces into the bush the the bushnell rangefinder so your dope will change throughout the day and it gives you the data right in the rangefinder so what you do is you've got you know you got your dial turret you set your your kestrel down it's getting a wind reading you know uh atmospheric moisture reading and and from there all you do is click it with the Bushnell Rangefinder, the elevation comes up, wind drift comes up. It's, it's a fantastic tool.
1: I think I'm going to have to ask nicely if we can get one. Of those <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Daryl was speaking to the guys this morning at Bushnell about it as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's great to hear from somebody who's actually used it. Oh, them. yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, those guys are good
2: buddies of mine. It works. It works perfectly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was shooting a 6.5-284, mm-hmm. a real nice flat shooting cartridge. And it, I, I was keeping notes as to how the dope changed throughout the day. Because, yeah. you know, Texas is cool. Then that sun comes out and it immediately warms up. and. You You know the 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 dope again at a thousand yards it changes considerably yeah yeah so i'm like wow you know that i i wouldn't have if i prepared a really good dope chart i'd have totally missed the plate you're talking a 36 inch plate and i'd have have missed it clean amazing you know so that that, we're gonna have to do some stuff there the guys at bushnell uh jake edson is my buddy at bushnell back in the states uh you know so we're in constant communication they are another company that is constantly progressing. You know, the new Bushnell Trophy and Elite Series scope. Yeah, we scopes, were talking about
0: that today as well. That's
2: a lot of scope for very little money. Yep. The price range is... Th- so it's it's so affordable, you yep. really can't look past it. Um, I've used that scope in, well, I can't convert to Celsius, but it was, it was 10 below zero in mm. the States. You know, took it outside to see, is this thing going to screw up or fo- it wouldn't fog up? We used it in uh, South Africa about a year and a half ago uh, it hit 44 celsius that day mm. you know my little white legs were just <laughs> they were crisp, and uh you know the stuff just it works perfectly uh their their technology is is both excellent and affordable and the clarity of glass is is surprising for that price range
1: oh well that's that's really great that's yeah. a great tie-up that we did the interview with them and obviously that that it's, it's that's their baby ten it's right you're using it in the field and you have used it, yeah. so that's, that's great to have yeah. that time. Yeah, we,
2: we've, we've used it from the small to the tall, you know, yeah. it's, the Bushnell stuff is great and it really works, so get, so you guys, uh, get yourself one of those one-mile connects. Nice. We'll, we'll be phoning them when we
1: get back <laughs> next week. Phil, I think we've used up enough of your time already. Gentlemen, it was an absolute pleasure, you. Yeah, thank you. Nice uh, to be with you so much. All.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you very much for listening. Don't go away just yet because, as we said at the start, we have a prize for you, you all to win this week, and it's a colossal prize. It is a, a Power Monkey Extreme, which is not only a solar panel, but also a rather substantial power bank, which all fits in the same little zippable pouch inside here, which allows you to charge a huge array of devices, I, I radios, it'll charge it, yeah. your camera batteries, it'll charge your phone. It, it's actually one of the most substantial... Um, power banks. I've uh, power banks and chargers. I've I've seen. I'm just going to open I, it here I, for the I've, YouTube watchers.
0: Uh, I own one of these. Uh, not this one though. It's a much smaller model than this. And I used. To, I mean, it's been a year since I've used it. But I could charge my phone off the one that I had. Uh, this one is much more substantial than that. And what's really cool with the one I have, and also this one here, it actually has its own uh, power bank um, that charges, so that. You could leave it out all day. It charges the the battery, and then at night time you can charge kit from it. It's actually way more useful that way because otherwise yeah. you've got to have. Um, so this is the the
1: solar panel here for the YouTube watchers, and you can see it's each panel's about the size of my hand. Yeah. Um, but it's way more useful this way because it means that you can have this like strapped to your pack, charging your power bank, and not having to worry about charging each device. So when the sun, you know that you're going to be able to store it, whether your devices are full or not and then you can just plug that into the thing that you need to charge at night. I mean, if you're into adventure hunting, adventure fishing, you know you're going to be out for a couple of days. Um, It's useful to be able to top up camera batteries and that sort of thing, so so you don't uh, miss out Uh, capturing that awesome still. I am
0: extraordinarily jealous of the person that's going to win this. I I can't believe we're actually giving this away. (laughs) Uh, And we've only got one. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, it is a... uh,
1: waterproof rugged solar powered charger uh, power monkey extreme by power traveler um, specifically made for iPods, iPhones and iPads but there's a whole array of um, actual uh, adapters for charging pretty much basically if if you can
0: plug a USB into it you can charge it
1: so this is what you have a chance to win this week we will put up a post on Facebook and all the other social medias with some pictures of it uh, so you can see and a few more details and we're going to keep it as simple as always to win.
0: Yep. It's going to be on Instagram and it'll just be the case of commenting underneath. It'll be on Facebook and it'll just be a case of tagging a friend underneath. And then the usual way of winning these things, you can also email podcast at com, And in the subject, please put in competition as the subject line just so we can filter it uh you can even put in competition power monkey or something like that that even helps us further uh but the point is is nobody's left out and you can win this and it's really really cool i love gadgets like this and it does work because i've and got genuinely the, useful uh, it's wor- it works in scotland so if it works in scotland that's a pretty good measure yeah. if it works in our uh, yeah today's actually I, a nice I, day and I, still I, a cloud i will layer. i will admit that it works in Scotland but it still has to have some sunshine coming through but I've got a much smaller version than this one mine mine is half the size of this it still works and it still works so yeah great prize that's how you enter please do and as we said at the start
1: um, please consider donating to mm-hmm. the current cause that we're supporting which uh, is run by Ivan Carter it's to provide some funding for a chimpanzee um, sanctuary in Congo all the informations on our website, thepacebrothers.com. Click Shop. You will see the tab there with a, a picture of a chimp on it. Click it. All the info is in there. Okay. And if you want to he- uh, read more about it, then just Google Ivan Carter. You'll see a couple of pages on him, and you'll be able to read about the initiatives there. You can also give straight to him. Straight to him, yeah. Uh, and in two weeks' time, we're going to give the whole lump sum of everybody
0: who's donated. Give everyone a shout-out. Uh, so sorry, our, a our aim is to get to a year, so there's two weeks left to feed and house this chimp for a year, yeah. so please donate. Yeah, and any amount we've had a lot of uh, the minimum three
1: pound entries and that is awesome that's that's what it's all about a lot of people supporting is
0: is fantastic and all of this money is going there so you don't you don't have to worry that we're taking some of it or ivan's taking some of it every single penny is going there and he explains how this is happening in the previous podcast so listen to that one two weeks ago with ivan it's a great podcast Uh, and i think that's us Yep, for
1: two it. weeks you will hear from us back in Ewa again mm-hmm. uh,
0: different people different places uh, it's going to be a good show oh I was going to say as well uh, if you head to the shop as well there's also the t-shirts and mugs we're also giving a percentage if you want a t-shirt or a mug mug uh, to this cause as well in fact we've had a couple of orders we have, recently uh, so uh, we're running more. low on mugs actually mm. so get them in get, now get them in now <laughs> before we run out because then we're going to have to put in another order you'll hear from us in two weeks